Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. There's nothing that satisfies the human soul apart from communion with the one who made us. And you can run and you can deny and you can reject and you can resist, but in the end, you're only inflicting harm upon yourself because you're running away from and rejecting the one who loves you, the one who made you with a purpose. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, in a message titled, Made in the Image of God. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Here is probably the greatest distinguishing factor that we so often overlook because we take it so much for granted. Man alone speaks. Man alone speaks. Now, the evolutionist they have been working overtime with different animals, trying to get them to learn to speak. Because, of course, their theories would lead them to believe that animals ought to be able to communicate. They ought to be able to have a language. They probably do have a language. We just have to you know, tap into it and understand it. Surely they have, you know, very similar capacities to us. And they've done much work with apes because apes are, as far as the DNA goes, they're very close to us when it comes to their DNA. But in all of their attempts to teach apes to speak, or to even use sign language, or to communicate in the most elementary form, the the types of forms that a two-year-old can communicate in, they have utterly failed on all accounts. I read an article by my friend Fred Field on the subject of language and this whole issue here of this distinct feature in man Regarding language, he said, there is a great gulf between human language and animal communication. As a result, one must wonder how it is that every member of humankind has this capacity while none of the other 10 million or so species does. If chimps and humans are equally evolved or developed having a common ancestor as evolutionary thinking would have us believe then why is it that no other primate species also has it, at least in some form? All things being equal, the premise for the Planet of the Apes series of films seems quite reasonable, assuming the accepted beliefs of evolutionary thinking. Furthermore, applying the principles of equal development to a wider sample, one must ask why orders of reptilians that have presumably been around longer than their mammal counterparts have not also developed some sort of language skills. This is the stuff of science fiction, not true science. Apparently, we are to assume that the mathematical probabilities are one in 10 million that any species will develop language. 
and humans are the winners. We just happen to have the optimal biological makeup and inhabit the optimal planet with the optimal environment in the optimal solar system in the optimal galaxy. The knowledge of language sets us apart from all other species that we know of so far. It is part of our unique heritage, our biological endowment. Its significance may be difficult to appreciate because so many aspects of it are unconscious and taken for granted. We are simply unaware of what we do when we do language. From a biblical perspective, it is an aspect of our humanity that links us to the infinite. It allows us to gain and express real knowledge, to learn of our respective environments and ourselves, and ultimately to reach many things and ideas that are beyond our individual capabilities. The obvious coherence of language and the language faculty raises significant questions about how random mutations could possibly account for such profound and effective order. So language itself, it it's baffles. These evolutionary scientists are, are baffled why these primates aren't able to communicate like they ought to be able to if their theories are accurate. And yet it's something that is so instinctive with us as people. And so these are the, all of the things that are implied in being created in the image of God. Now, you know, to me, and I would imagine to you as well, this stuff is as plain as the nose on your face. It's so obvious that man is distinct from the rest of creation. And the irony with these these humanistic atheists, with these men that have embraced these evolutionary ideas, you know, the irony is that all of the evidence, everything Everything points in the opposite direction of their theories, but they still hold tenaciously to their theories in the face of all of the evidence against it. They still cling to their theories, saying, "We're going to find that missing link." We're going to, you know, I don't know if you saw, you know, the discovery, the missing link. They've now discovered uh, the missing link is somewhere between a flounder and a halibut. And over millions of years, one of the eyes drifted over to the other side of the head. And, you know, I'm telling you, I'm reading this stuff, and I just can't believe that it's even printed in the news. And even the guys that are, are promoting the idea that, that it's the missing link, you can tell by reading the article that they really are grasping at straws. You can tell that, you know, they themselves don't believe this is the missing link. But it's the best we've got up until this point. Now, we're talking about being, man being created in the image of God, and we're talking about all of the glory of that, and we're talking about the personality and the morality and the spirituality. But of course, we don't see that as we look around us today, do we? And that is because man is not presently what he originally was or what he was intended to be. And we will get to the reason for that a bit later in our study. But of course, the reason is man fell from his high position 
of that relationship with God. And having fallen from that high position, instead of seeking to regain that position, that relationship, man keeps going further and further and further in the wrong direction. And that's what we see happening all around us today in our world. Man is uniquely created in the image of God. The missing link is not Neanderthal man, Peking man, Java man. The missing link is the God man, Jesus Christ. And the problem is the vast majority of people are looking for the connection. You know, it's funny. Everybody evidently senses that there's some connection to something in the past, and they're, they're in hot pursuit of trying to find out what that is. And they ridicule us for what they call simplistic thinking, oh, that there's a God who just created everything. And they ridicule us for worshiping and serving God. But the things that they have taken and elevated really in many ways to God's status, and, and they, have a, they have a reverence that in some cases puts us to shame. Some years ago when they claimed that they had, you know, found the bits and pieces of our most ancient ancestors and they were going to display these bone parts in one of the museums in Britain, they took these bone fragments and they locked them in a case and they placed them in something equivalent to like an armored truck and they had a long procession, an entourage to the museum and they took these things and they placed them behind bulletproof glass. Bone fragments. And all of the anthropologists gathered around and they oohed and they awed and they worshiped is basically what they're doing. I think it was with Lucy, the so-called missing link that they called Lucy. And, you know, there, there's this reverence, there's this devotion, there's this commitment that is so powerful. It is a religious commitment And if you contradict it, if you challenge it, if you question it, even if you're within the system, if you question it, you are excommunicated from the community. It's astounding. And all over this country, as we saw in the the film Expelled, many many professors have been expelled from their position because they have dared to question Darwinism. So it's a battle, you know, as it's often presented from the press, you know, it's supposedly a battle against science and religion or science, and they like to refer to it more as superstition. But it's not that at all. It is a battle of worldviews. It is a battle of philosophies. 
It is a battle that comes down to one of two options. Either God created us in his image and we are what we are because of his creative power and therefore we are obviously then accountable to him as our creator. That's the one option which is completely unacceptable to them. And the other, of course, is that no one created us. We are all the byproduct of of random chance. And ultimately, we have no actual accountability to a higher being. There then can be no absolute moral code. There can be no absolute right or wrong. And in the end, all of this structure is erected to allow men to live the way they want and to not have any guilt or any fear of retribution in regard to it. That's what everything really boils down to. But for me, and, and for you too, I know, many of you, the God option is such a better option. It's so much better. Because all of those things that you want to do, that you've got to get rid of God so you can do them, you find that those things never really satisfy you anyway. There's nothing that satisfies the human soul apart from communion with the one who made us. And you can run and you can deny and you can reject and you can resist, but in the end, you're only inflicting harm upon yourself because you're running away from and rejecting the the one who made you, the one who loves you, the one who made you with a purpose, the one who wants to bless you. I often, as I read some of the things that people say and as I listen to their arguments, I think, you know, we are living in a world where men have gone insane. It really is I call it a sin-induced insanity. But it really is, you know, if you really listen to what these guys are saying, if you think through what they're talking about, this is insanity. It makes no sense. You know, what is a mark of insanity? It's unreasonableness. It's something that makes no sense whatsoever. When a person is insane, they just babble. They just talk in riddles, and you don't know what they're talking about, and they don't know what they're talking about. It doesn't make a bit of sense. And so it is when you read the most articulate of these philosophers. In the end, you look at it and think, you know, this doesn't make a bit of sense. And it's like man has lost his mind in his attempt to do away with God's rule over his life, he's lost his mind. We're living in a world full of insane people. When all God wants to do is bless, all he wants to do is reveal his goodness and his grace, you know, all God wants to do is good for man. That's what he wants to do. He wants to come into our lives and bless us. 
And only an insane person would say, no, I don't want that. Created in the image of God. Created in the image of God. Created for God. And the final word is that man is related to God and our hearts will find no rest until we are reunited with him. We're related to God. Isn't that a great thought, though, when you think about it? You know, another manifestation of the insanity, and there's, there's such contradictory ideas. You have on the one hand, sometimes you, you know, you're listening to these philosophers, these evolutionary, atheistic philosophers and so forth, and you have on the one hand, they're elevating man to the point of deity, And on the other hand, you have guys like Peter Singer who are saying, you know, man is no more significant than a chimpanzee. Man is no more significant than any other life form whatsoever. It's no difference between bashing a baby seal in the head with a club or bashing a human being in the head with a club. So right there you see, okay, well, which is it? Is man a deity or is he just slime? And they they sort of vacillate between the two. If it's advantageous to their cause, then, God, uh, then man is a god. But if it's advantageous to their cause, then man is slime. It's confusion. It's craziness. The biblical picture of life, the biblical picture of the world fits so much better with reality. It fits so much better with everything we see and with everything that we know intuitively. You know, the philosophers try to tell us today there is no meaning in life. Life is purposeless. But you know what? You know and I know that that isn't true. How do I know that? I just know it. I know it intuitively. I know that there's significance to my life. You know that there's significance to your life. Everybody knows that you got to get brainwashed out of believing that because it's intuitive. Why is it there? It's there because God put that in us. There is, in one sense, innately in us, the knowledge that we are created in the image of God, that there is something special about man, that, no, you don't go out and kill people just because you feel like it. There's something about human life. We know it intuitively. Now, most people don't feel bad about chopping off a chicken's head. They're going to cook it for dinner. And most of us don't feel bad about, you know, we don't actually go through the process, but we go down to the market and we buy ribs and We buy steak and we buy different things and we don't feel bad about that at all. And we shouldn't because God made these things for these purposes. But none of us would ever dream about chopping up a person and putting them in the freezer to eat on 4th of July at the family barbecue, would we? Why wouldn't we do that? 
And you know what? You don't even have to read the Bible to know that you're not supposed to do that. You just know that you don't do that. That's what many of the missionaries found with the, the, the cannibalistic tribes, that they went to evangelize. The cannibals that never, never had a Bible, never were influenced by Western Christian ideas. But they themselves would confess that they knew that their cannibalism was wrong. It's, it's intuitive. It's innate. It's all related back to this whole thing that we are created in the image of God. And one final note. Again, for me, thinking about these things, it, it's just, it's thrilling. It's thrilling to think that I am created in God's image and, and all of the implications of that. And I've been redeemed by him and I have a relationship with him and I'm his child. And we all know what it's like. If we're parents, we know, what, we know the affections that we have for our children. We know how we love to lavish our love upon them. We know how we love to spend time with them. We know how we want to bless them and do every good thing that we can possibly do for them. And when we stop and think about being created in the image of God, being the children of God, and we realize that all of those things that we have, all of those natural affections that we have toward our loved ones, that God has all of those toward us. That's such a thrilling thing. It's such a blessing. It's such a wonderful thing. It's so comforting to know that if we've got anything that's weighing us down, if we've got issues in our life, if we've got struggles or problems or whatever, that we have a God who made us, a God who loves us, a God who knows more about us than we could ever know about ourselves, and we can come straight to his throne boldly. And we can cry out for help, and he will help. Because we are what creation was all about. All of that preparation, the bringing into existence of all of the matter, the forming of the earth, bringing the vegetation, animal life, all of that was all preparatory for this one creature. And that's us. And if that doesn't comfort, encourage, bless you, then just add one more to it. Remember that God demonstrated his love toward us ultimately in that Christ died for us. So God made us, and we already know the story. Man rebelled against God. But even then, God did not Stop loving man, and he did not give up his plan to bless man, and he sent Jesus to do that so we could be here studying God's word, remembering once again who we really are, remembering why we're here, because God created us, but knowing that that God who created us, he also sent his son to die for us, and having given us his son, he's going to freely give us all things through him.
For the month of September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. The current culture is enamored with things that are new, novel, or out of the ordinary. But the everyday and seemingly mundane and ordinary things of life are given hardly any thought. But what surprises can be revealed by the common things in life? In his book, God of All Things, Andrew Wilson will help you to encounter the extraordinary in the ordinary in a way that exalts Jesus and provides practical application. You'll be astonished at how everyday things can offer glimpses of the character and gospel of God. This book will move you to worship and the enjoyment of God. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.